Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host Max Cantor and today on the show I have a certified applied improv practitioner and someone who has been doing improv and involved in the improv community for almost two decades. In addition to that, she's also the founder of Brace Space. So please welcome to the show Christy West. Welcome to the show Christy. Hi Max. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on, excited to, to talk to you about your improv career. Uh, but to get started, I want to know, growing up, what late night influences or just comedy influences influenced you to really get started in the comedy world? <laughs> That's such a good question. Uh, you know, if it had to be TV or inter- entertainers, I would really kind of have to go to oh, this is going to make me sound super old, and maybe I am super <laughs> old. If you were to look at, like, the improv community in Atlanta, I unfortunately, I think I fit that senior bracket. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say Lucille Ball. I mean, I loved, like, the fact that she was not only female, she was, to me, in my opinion, as a child, she was one of the first females to uh, not, to be okay with like not being sexy or beautiful and being okay, sort of being silly and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that certainly appealed to me. She didn't mind uh, getting dirty, so to speak. Um, and you just didn't see a lot of female comics doing that. Um, and then I think what quickly followed that for me was Gilda Radner um, and Catherine O'Hara and some of the early classic SNL and, uh, you know, female comedians coming out of, you know, places like Second City uh, who hit TV. And the cool thing about them as well was that they weren't afraid to break sort of that mold of, you know, kind of being ridiculous. And, you know, (laughs) I'm going to say this and hopefully it comes across the right way kind of being ugly. I mean, I remember one of the first compliments I got on stage doing comedy was how unattractive it made me look. (laughs) 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 So there you have it. Were you a fan of, uh, or did you ever watch Carol Burnett? Yes. And I, yes, yes. And I didn't mean to, to leave that out. Um, she was certainly right up there, but because, like, I think her show was, if I'm remembering correctly, didn't it come on kind of late at night for a while until you got the reruns? I feel like I missed it either because we didn't have the channel or um, it came on too late. I mean, I lived in Alabama. I grew up in a, in a desert of no culture. Um, and so we had, like, three channels. And uh, this is probably deviating from what you originally asked a little bit, but um, I think one of the reasons I was I was really drawn to comedy and most especially improv is as a child, uh, we, my sisters and I have two sisters and we're all within four years of each other. We really had to make up things to do. We had to use our imagination and I started doing improv whether I knew it was improv or not at a very early age. Cause when I tell you, and I know a lot of people say this, but I'm, I am, I could sit and talk to you for an hour 
about the characters and shows that we created as children. Mm. But we created our whole freaking like, this is what my sisters and I did. We would literally go, what are we going to play? And we had these whole cast of characters that we had made up. And they didn't just go away after one day. Like they stayed with us for like five to, you know, 10 years. We, we played the, I can tell you all of their names, their personalities, what they did. I know that sounds strange. I'm getting off on a tangent. But, I mean, when you grow up with not a lot to do and not a lot of TV and you just make characters up, I think uh, we were most especially into characters that were very silly and comical and made people laugh. And, I mean, we were forced in. I didn't even know what improv was. It was kind of forced on me. <laughs> <laughs> So, out of all the characters that you created over the years, is there one that's your favorite or one that sticks out in your mind that you originated? Yeah. So, (laughs) this is, I'm going to, this is the first time I've ever talked about this. Uh, So, my sister Kim, who's a year older than I, we played these sisters, um, Shirley and Donna. And she was Shirley. She played Shirley, and I was Donna. And for some reason in our show, there was no husband in sight. So they were single parents. And they each had three sons, triplets. And instead of being creative and naming them, Donna had three kids named Squirty One, Squirty Two, and Squirty Three. (laughs) And Shirley had three kids named Bullhead One, Bullhead Two, and Bullhead Three. (laughs) 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 And... When we played, we called it Donna and Shirley. When we played Donna and Shirley, each of us would be not only the the main character, Donna or Shirley, but we'd also be the three kids each. (laughs) This sounds ridiculous now that I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) But Donna and Shirley's grandparents were also in the mix, uh, Granny and Grandpa Grunt. And so it was like this huge extended family, the grandparents, the kids, their kids, it was like generational, <laughs> but <laughs> you can imagine with those names and just sort of the weirdness around the dynamics that it got, to, it was just ridiculous fun. It was just, and there was always a storyline, like, you know, the kids, you know, are missing and they ran away and then, you know, we found them in like, you know, a tunnel somewhere selling lemonade. I don't know. It was just a weird I mean, it was made up. We never had a script, right? We'd say, okay, let's play Donna and Shirley, and let's pretend this time that the kids got expelled from school. Hmm. It's weird, Max. That's Well, first of all, <laughs> I have to say, the names Donna and Shirley, as, as, soon, as soon as you said that, I was, I, I was laughing. Because <laughs> those are the most unique names to, to pair together. Uh, like, you didn't pick, like, Susie and Jane. Like, it was, like, very specifically no. named people that gave them a character just right off the bat. Exactly. And exactly. The, and you know what? Go ahead. No, oh, I want to hear what you were saying. Well, I was just going to say the fact that you guys totally fleshed out this backstory for them with their kids and their grandparents and there's no husbands there's no husbands no in husbands. sight <laughs> which never i never even talked about it never even talked about the need <laughs> for or the absence of a husband right and i wonder if that comes from you growing up watching these strong female leads in shows cuz there's yeah. no need there's no need to have it <laughs> max we were like who needs a husband <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
funny. There could be. I mean, what would be the psychological, you know, reasoning maybe around that? I've never even discussed it with my sister. The next time I see her, I'm going to say, <laughs> hey, you know, how come Donna and Shirley never had a husband? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, that'll blow her mind. And did uh, did did Donna and Shirley, did they have voices that went with it? Like, did you really get into character? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The kids sounded like kids, and they sounded like their characters. I can't remember how we depicted them. I mean, you got to realize that this has been, oh, my gosh, I guess 30 years ago, right? Or mm. more. <laughs> yeah. Let's not say too much about that. People will start doing math. But, you know, I, I, I know that, like, for example, there was another character. She was kind of a guest. She had guest appearances, and her name was Frida Moon. And she was a jazz, like a lounge singer, you know. <laughs> so I know, right? We were we were out of control. And so Frida would come in and, you know, she obviously had like this, you know, I'm Frida Moon, you know. She was very, you know, so I know that we specifically, her character was just very glamorous. Mm. and always had like a nightgown, a, you know, a, a evening gown on. And she sang, you know, on a stool. And um, other characters that came in, you know, and of course, Granny and Grandpa Grunt, you know, they sounded they sounded like old people, you know, and we would do the voices for the old people. And But I can't remember specifically Donna and, and Shirley's, I mean, just your typical middle-aged lady with kids you know now over time you know when you started getting involved in your comedy career did you ever go back to these comedy characters that you created no no but I think I didn't but I think I certainly pulled from the experience Mm. of you know, being able to think on the fly and just go with an idea because that's what we were doing. And like I said before, whether we realized it or not, you know, as children, and this is why to me improv is is very much when I teach it to even adults, sometimes I have to remind them when you're a kid, you don't even think about this stuff. You are there to play. And and someone gives you an idea, your friend comes and says, let's play cops and robbers. Or let's play like we're firemen. You don't even question it. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like you just jump right in mm-hmm. and you're suddenly two firemen on the on the go and there's a house on fire. And, and as adults, you know, if we were to come up to each other and I'm like, Max, quick, <laughs> you're my best friend. And, and we're going to, you know, you would look at me kind of like, well, I mean, you're an improviser, but you know what I'm saying? People would be like. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm actually no, I'm not gonna do that. Right. No, you're you're thinking I've got groceries to buy and you know a bottle of wine to drink mm-hmm. because we just don't jump into play like we do when we're kids. So I think what as an improviser for me, I'm always reminded of how easy that was. We didn't question it at all. Mm. That's so true. The older we get, it seems the older we get, the creativity goes down and i was i was thinking this um uh, a couple months ago how as a kid um and i think this just goes this carries on with the creativity trend as a kid they'll ask us what do you want to be when you grow up and we all say i want to be president of the united states i want to be an astronaut or a princess or all these different things but when you get older if someone asked you 
you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you said, oh, I want to be an astronaut. They'd go, okay, but like, you know, for real, like what's your, what's your actual goal? <laughs> and so it yeah. totally changes. Like the expectations totally change. And it's because, you know, we are forced to be serious. We're, spo- we're supposed to like push that creativity down and get more serious with our lives. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where yeah. it's important for people like you to go into these companies. And we'll talk about that. But to go into these companies and pull out the fun that's or the kid mm-hmm. that's in all of us. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, life beats us down <laughs> from childhood to becoming an adult. And, uh, it just becomes harder and harder to access the play and the fun and the mm-hmm. creativity and the imagination. Mm-hmm. But I often do go back to those days of growing up and those many, many years of, you know, treating that like it was, it was our go-to, you know, of release and, and, you know, fun. It was always fun. And I think, you know, of, you know, the fact that we, it's okay as adults to give ourselves permission to be in, you know, to be in that mindset every now and again. It's actually very healthy. You just have to be able to kind of, our mind can't wrap itself around, you know, the fun and the creativity and the imagination and all the other things sometimes when there's so much responsibility and seriousness, you know, in life and work. But yes, I love the fact that my job is actually giving people permission to go back to that place mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking so much about improv now, but to talk a little bit about improv back then, when did you get involved in, like, formal improv training? When were you introduced to the art of improv? So having grown up in Alabama, like I said, in the desert uh, where there was not a lot of culture. I didn't even have drama in high school. Um, I always loved making stuff up and being characters, as I explained, through my childhood. But I had no outlet for it. So mm. I feel like that stuff just brewed inside of me for many, 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 many years. And then in my uh, mid-20s, I was at a Halloween party here in Atlanta. I had been living here for about three years. And... Someone uh, saw me in a Halloween costume where I obviously, with my love of characters and acting, dressed up in a full character and was in character all night. Hmm. Um, and, and you wouldn't have recognized me unless you knew me very well because I went all out. The, the character was obviously from my roots in Alabama. Uh, 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 <laughs> I'm going to say it, redneck. Hmm. Um, that's a stereotype. I might get, you know get somebody to uh be offended at that but i just that was the character's name was billy bob and i'm from alabama so you know i am i got i got some redneck in me too (laughs) so um anyway and i did full makeup full costume and then i got into character and i was in character all night and this guy met me and he said you know what you would be really good at improv and i didn't even know what it was and he said do you know do you know what that is he explained it he goes well Here's a guy's number. His name is Chip Powell. He's over at Whole World Theater. This was in 99. And uh, give him a call. They're doing classes over there. And I was like, okay, classes to, to do characters and be funny? Okay, sign me up. You know, dialects? Because I was in 
I was kind of in a dialect and, and, you know, full character mode that night. So I was like, if I can do exactly what he says I'm doing tonight all the time, I'm just sold. Just sign me up. So I showed up uh, maybe six weeks later, a few months later to this class at Whole World Theater. And it was my first improv class. And I never looked back. Wow. So how long did you... uh how long did you play the role of the student? How long were you a student before you felt comfortable to teach others? Oh, my goodness. So I studied at Whole World for about, I would say, three to four years. And back in those days, it was only like two or three theaters here in Atlanta. We did not have a big improv scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even Whole World and Dad's Garage were both pretty new on the scene at that time. I think they started around the same time, if memory serves me correct. And so, you know, to get on stage somewhere around here, you could be training for four or five years. So I was always part of like a, you know, a student cast or a, or a, or a, or a you know, apprentice cast, you know, really cr- trying to kind of find my time on stage to practice enough to kind of become a you know a regular performer and that probably went on for after whole world and then studying with some independent teachers here learning long form um i then moved over to relapse and joined uh, a troupe called two girls three eyes which i was a part of for seven years and it was mostly short form and um it was about 2007 2008 when I first discovered applied improv. So what are we talking there if we do the math, Max? Nine, ten years almost into my improv training and performing. Yeah. That I started Ooh. to think about teaching this. And, 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 and I'm not like a lot of people start teaching it to actually people who want to learn improv. I started immediately teaching it to people in the corporate world or professionals who wanted to learn improv so that they could become better presenters, better communicators. So I dove right into that end of it, never really taught improv to performers. Wow. And that's that's a very interesting pivot that you wouldn't you wouldn't pivot to other comedians, you pivoted to people who were not in the comedy world at all. Is the right. opposite, the business right. world. Yeah. I, I mean, I was enjoying the performance side of everything that I was doing, but I also started to notice that, you know, my professional life and business-to-business sales also benefited from my improv training. I was becoming better at certain things with my job, and I thought, wait a minute, everybody needs this, not just performers. Like, everybody in my company needs this because (laughs) it makes me better at my job. Mm -hmm. And. You know, I would just say it was almost like dominoes from from the point I discovered there's benefits to this work off the stage. I I think every year after that and since and to this day, I discover something new about this art form that is very beneficial and valuable off the stage, whether it's in a corporate environment or teaching in a classroom or dancing in a studio or doing stand up, you know, on stage. I think it is tremendously powerful work and that it's not about the comedy is a byproduct, but there's a bunch of other byproducts too, like, 
you know, I'm like, I'm a ninja when it comes to change. It takes a lot to rattle me because I think the improv muscle of getting used to things changing all the time for me has been worked out for so many years. I think I'm kind of warped in that sense. People are amazed at the fact that I, I can thrive in change. Most people melt in change. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's improv, I believe, definitely plays a big part in that because improv is all about changing, all about staying on your toes and just saying yes and yep. go with it. Say yes and go with it's it. It's a workout. It is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big workout. I always tell people that I got tricked into this business because <laughs> I thought I was signing up for funny classes and I was actually signing up for a gym for my social skills. My interpersonal skills got to work out every time I go to a, a jam rehearsal or a performance. Right. Absolutely. And oh, do, yeah. Yeah, you do you do that workout for 20 years and you'll come out pretty good on the the uh, adaptability, you know, scale. You'll come out pretty good on adapting, navigating change. You might not be perfect at it all the time. I'm certainly not, but I think I'm I am way better <laughs> than uh, you know, the average person because I go to the gym every day and work work it out. Mhm. That's very true. That's very true. And you know, while we start talking a little bit about improv in the business world let's talk about brave space so what is brave space uh so it it is it it is a team development and skill building company that uses improvisation um to create learning and uh training that you know basically is taking the same skills a lot of the same principles techniques tools um, and, you know, teaching it to people, um, in the business world or professionals or in any other, you know, environment other than, other than improv and comedy and theater. So it's, I always say it's taking it off the stage and into a different environment and using the same methodology. So I always say it's, it's the how and not the what. So people say, oh, how do you teach improv to business people? Like, I'm not really teaching improv. I'm just using the same set of principles and applying them to their work. And then they can start to kind of connect the dots and wrap their mind around it. Otherwise, they think, oh, how, why are you teaching us to be funny? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, that might happen, but that is not what I'm doing. Yeah, right. So, Obviously, one of the biggest rules of improv is yes and. That's the one kind of like if you talk to somebody who knows nothing about improv and ask them to tell you something, they'll go, oh, yes and. and Everyone knows that. But what were some other principles that you realized could be transferred from improv to business? Uh, so we just said a big one that I'm working a lot, especially today. And the today's business landscape looks quite different than it did five years ago, 10 years ago. So we're in this sort of VUCA landscape, which is a, a military acronym from the Army uh, War College. That means volatile, uncertain, uh, complex, and ambiguous. And so we've adapted it in the business world because today we are so tech-driven and, you know, there's AI and, and, and we're in the digital, you know, economy. And, you know, it, it has become a constant in business that it's going to evolve and change and be unexpected, you know, all the time you've got all these things. So I get a lot of sort of requests around, you know, adaptability, resilience, uh, pivoting in the moment. And that is one principle. I mean, you 
have to be able to navigate change on stage. When you are at the mercy of co-creating with your audience, they can throw you anything, and it's our job to take it, use it, love it, own it, work it, lease it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever we're doing. We, mm-hmm. we, that is, we are working with an audience that is our partner, and the audience throws us something, and then we also have to work with our partner on stage and whatever they throw us. So we've got a couple of different things coming at us that we need to yes and and incorporate and change if we need to change. Um, so it's really about you have to abandon that agenda, your agenda or the plan that you may have had uh, originally and just go in that moment where you need to go. And that is pivoting. That is being adaptable. So if I were to take that concept into a corporate environment, I would literally just have them work that muscle out for three hours mm-hmm. doing exercises and scenarios that I, I sometimes custom build that are similar to improv exercises, or I take an old improv game like sit, stand, lean, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you have to sit, stand, or lean at any given moment, and the whole idea there is, is change, right? you got to change. you got to change. you got to change. Right. And uh, it's uncomfortable. People are so uncomfortable with it. But by the end of that workshop, there's a huge discussion around, holy crap, like that is definitely something that I've not worked out and I don't create the time and space to work out that muscle. Mm-hmm. So that's one principle. And it would take us two days to get through all of them. So I'm just going to quickly rattle off a few failure. Um, failure mm. is a huge principle in improv that you just you just start laughing. You own it. You laugh at it. You call out your mistake and you keep moving on, right? Mm-hmm. And if you and I are on stage and you clearly tell me your name is John and then I call you Dave, we are going to uh, – we are not going to skate past that, right? I totally messed up. But, um, you know, at work, uh, you know, we're, we're so used to coloring inside the lines and covering up mistakes and needing to be right – that a lot of the principles I'll take in a corporate environment is, you know, own it. If you if you mess up, you know, just just own it and get past it as quick as you can because there's something good on the other side. If you just sit there and think about your mistake and and cower down and you know you're just wasting time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've been in that moment on stage, right, where you clearly made a mistake and you know the audience caught it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can either melt, cower down, and, and they know it makes them uncomfortable. But if you just own it, make a joke about it, and keep moving on, they love it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They, they, yeah. Uh, I, I just finished a, a class at the Village Theater with Jessica Young, um, and she is all aboard on owning your failure. All like a hundred percent on it, and she has been trained at. Uh, she comes from Groundlings background, and so she came uh, to Village with all these cool games. It was such a unique class, but that was one of her most important things: was fail and fail hard. Own it and own it, what's yours, and then the audience will love you for it. Yeah, they're smart and they get it, and they want to feel like they're a part of it. But if you try to pretend didn't happen you kind of make them uncomfortable yes and you know the corporate world is getting more and more about you know innovation and you know it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to fail it's okay to take risk it's okay to put your neck out there 
you might not get it right, but that's better than not being, you know, creative and innovative. I mean, to be creative, innovative, and all the things we look for today in business, you have to stick your neck out and take a risk. And, and guess what? You might fail. You might make a mistake. So that's another principle I take into corporate environments. Obviously, the acceptance and yes-anding, uh, you know, is a great one for collaboration and getting a lot of ideas out at once. Um the other ones are listening, active listening. You know, as well as I do as an improviser, you have to listen like your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you listen like a thief. I mean, you are hanging on to the every word and every facial expression and every, you know, movement that's happening on stage. And we don't do a lot of good listening in business. So you can obviously see how carrying that into a corporate environment is is uh, crucial. And mm-hmm. then, so there's listening, there's failure, adaptability, spontaneity, and, and, and uh, authenticity is a big one. Uh, you know, as well as I do, when we first start doing improv, we think that characters are super funny and different. Di- we do anything we can for a laugh, but when we learn that just being ourselves is the funniest, right? Truth mm-hmm. is comedy. You are you have, I felt like I was being set free when someone finally opened my eyes to the fact that I was going to be a lot more entertaining if I could just be myself because I think we're all funny in our own right with just what we have our own experiences our own just who we are it's, it can be funny but when we try to be funny it's not funny mm-hmm. right <laughs> So finding that authentic self, finding your authentic self is another thing that I take into uh, corporate environments. So it's really kind of simple. I tell people anything you do as an improviser that helps you, you know, really connect with that person on stage and tell that story and be one with the audience, you're tapping into probably eight to ten different skills and things that you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. unless you've been doing it for two decades like me, and then you've got nothing but time on your hands and you've yeah. it a million times. So, you know, so I usually just, when I get stuck and, and someone's like, what is this beneficial? How is this? I go, put yourself on stage with one person, no script in front of a hundred people who throw you the suggestion of hot dog. What are you going to tap into to survive that? Right. That's when you start getting the answers. Oh, I guess I gotta listen. Okay, yeah, I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta be selfless and make it about them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I probably want to be, you know, authentic, and I guess I'm gonna have to move pretty quick and not think and get my, you know, that's when it kind of starts to all make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, is that an answer to your question? I think I feel yeah. like I went around a really weird <laughs> cul-de-sac for that one. <laughs> no, that that answered, and it was interesting because as you talked, as you started telling me some of the exercises that you do, one th- common theme that I thought of is all about teamwork and, you know, just making it about the team, especially with uh, sit, stand, lean, because while it's three people, you have to work as a team. So when you see somebody sit, if you're sitting, you have to work with that person and go, oh, now i got to stand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's all about mm-hmm. the team, which is so, so important, whether it be in business, whether it be in improv, Wherever you are, the team has to come first. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think it was easy for me to separate the two parts of my business. I mean, one is skill building, where if you came to me and was like, I just need my salespeople to be better, you know, at, at, at interacting with clients. Okay, I'll figure out some skills to tap into for that. But I have a lot of people come to me, Max, especially today, and go, I just need my team to connect, to trust each other, 
and to work as a single unit. You know, the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as well as I do in, in improv, you know, you quickly have to learn to trust people, get their back, um, you know, just know that you're going to take care of each other and, you know, know that it takes everyone to get the job done. And you just somehow quickly get very close to the people you do improv with, mm-hmm. you know, because to me that makes for the the, 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 the troops that I like to watch, the improv ensembles that I like to watch, to me are the ones that have really tight bonds, and they are vacant of ego. Mm-hmm. And it's just all about having fun together, and the playing field is even. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link in improv, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you meet everybody where they're at. While so, uh, while you do this a lot, going to these businesses, do you also still perform on the side? Yeah. So I just um, started uh, a new troupe with a bunch of females, um, and we're called the Founders. And we're probably uh, three, four months old. A uh, bunch of us have known each other in the improv community for quite a while. Um, and, uh, we kind of came together because we are, um, we are nesting the idea of, uh, opening a theater in, um, 2019, uh, for, uh, improv comedy, uh, you know, really any, any, anything that is artistic that someone wants to bring to a stage, uh, that could be puppets, puppets to improv, to stand up, to, uh, Shakespeare. And uh, it's in the very beginning stages, so I don't want to give away too much or talk about it too much. Um, but that's why we're called the Founders, because this is the group of women who came together to open up this theater. So we're performing right now um, at different uh, venues around Atlanta. We've done a couple of different fundraisers and a couple of different uh, corporate uh, entertainment things. But it, for now, it's giving me my fix that I need to perform and be on stage because mm-hmm. uh, I start to get itchy if I haven't been performing for a while. And I think the improv community is interesting, but if you've performed as long as I have, you can sort of uh, find it challenging to you know, find your place, right? Mm-hmm. If you've taken all the classes and you've performed with, you know, I feel like, I love the shit out of the improv community here in Atlanta, but I think there could be a lot of people like me who agree that once you reach the point that I have, um, age-wise, experience-wise, whatever you want to call it, it's hard to find your place. You don't want to go start at level one at a dad's or or a village because you've been there, done that. So it's just, you know, I think this this is a great thing to do. You just open a theater, Max. That's what you do. When you get to be old, you just open a theater, so you've got a stage that you can perform on. Yep, that's true. <laughs> your your inner Frida Moon was calling, and you had to answer. <laughs> yes, we're going to have uh, lounge singers. And, um, but, yeah, I think this will be an interesting project. Um, it's in East Point. Um, like I said, it's really early, and I don't want to say too much about it, but um, 
we thought, and, and I'm glad you brought it up because this is case. This this kind of proves everything that we've talked about. These women, as well as myself, have all been doing improv in different cities, uh, Second City in Chicago, and some theaters and comedy sports and in New Orleans, and then there's me, and there's really kind of a really there's six of us, very dynamic backgrounds and experience when it comes to improv. So we all came together. We want to open up this new space for improv and comedy and different different performances. And it's really challenging to open a theater. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. There's the finance side of it, the business side of it, the marketing side of it, website, you know, the, the nonprofit status, all the things that we're trying to do. We realized very quickly that we needed to be a solid team that we needed to be super close bonded and and honestly the improv stuff started out as let's do this because we believe in the work that we do and we believe in its ability to bring people together and help people work better as a team collaborate better um you know get rid of the the things that the limitations and the challenges like ego and competition and anything else that could get in there and we started jamming together and just doing improv together. And we realized very quickly, well, not only is this fun and it's bringing us closer, we we're actually, we got some good energy here. We're actually pretty good together. So we decided to just be a full blown troop and who knows where it'll go. But I just wanted to mention it because when you said it, I was like, and wait a minute, we didn't actually really start to form a troop. We actually did it because we wanted to practice what we preach yeah, and use the same methodology to get us closer and more cohesive as a team. And, um, and then it ended up just, yeah, let's be a troop. Well, I think this is a great opportunity to, to bring me to my last question for you. It's a question I ask every single guest that comes on my show. So the question is, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone who eventually wants to be in your shoes – what piece of advice would you give them? One piece of advice, Max. <laughs> Way to put me on the spot. <laughs> you were you were preaching so well. I was like, this is your moment. Oh, it is, but I have so many. Because, um, yeah, okay, I can't. I'm, I'm going to try to talk it out, and in the process, give you four or five pieces. Um, I think you have to really. I think you have to really believe in your authentic self. I think that you have to know what you have and go with your gut. And see, to me, that sounds so ambiguous, but if I could add just a tiny bit of color to this, and and I'm going to say this uh, because I, I think it truly could help somebody out there. I think a lot of times we don't feel like we're enough. Even in improv, when we hit the stage, more often than not, I believe if we're all being honest, we don't feel like we have enough. And I think through my work and, and becoming an applied improv practitioner, I always second-guessed myself and just was really afraid that I wasn't enough. And the moment that everything turned for me, is when I said, I have everything I need. There is nothing that I can gain from a second city. Uh, you know, there is nothing I can gain from, you know, a big brand or a, 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 a 
well-known, you know, business person or mentor, I finally got to a point where I had to really believe that I was enough and I had enough. And I always compare it to improv. If we did that every time we hit the stage, you know, we, the sky's the limit, right? Mm-hmm. So that is my piece of advice. I like it. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was the correct answer as well, too. So congratulations. Oh, what do I win? What did I win? Well, you win an opportunity now to tell people if they would like to learn more about Brave Space or perhaps see you perform, in what ways can they do that? So, uh, yeah, we have uh, a website, uh, and it is Brave, spelled B-R-A-V-E, space, S-P-A-C-E. You can remember that because we create Space to practice brave skills. BraveSpaceBizBiz.com. There is a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter page. And um, we also have a page for the, um, the new theater. And uh, I'm not giving away too much information, but it's called Unbarred, U-N-B-A-R-R-E-D, on Facebook. You can go ahead and join that and wait for the big announcement and the launch and all that good stuff. So BraveSpaceBiz.com and Unbarred on Facebook. All right. That's awesome. Well, Christy, thank you so much for being on my show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, I enjoyed uh, doing all the talking, apparently, because I feel like I didn't give you a chance to say much. But look, th- you're the star of the show. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here to facilitate. It's really all you. That makes me feel like a really bad listener, Max. <laughs> and we teach people to be really good listeners in improv. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think I think you did a fantastic job, and I I hope one day at your new theater I'll be able to see Donna and maybe Shirley. Uh, I'm really invested <laughs> in this now. You will be the only person who gets it, but I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Max. You're very welcome. And to anybody listening, remember, you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Talking Late Night, and you can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again so much for Christy for being on the show. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>